Welcome to another episode of Saints Edified. I'm your host Arturo and I want to thank you once again for tuning in. Today we are on part three of our scriptures series and uh, last week if you if you didn't listen to it I'd highly recommend you listen to last week's episode but we covered how scripture is inspired and we also touched on the apocrypha and why that's not inspired. Also too I just want to quickly highlight something that that means a lot to me but we're almost on our 30th episode and that's a milestone I've been looking forward to because um, I knew from the beginning that, you know, uh, if you guys haven't noticed, probably not because I edit these after, you know, after, after I record, but um, I, I do have a stutter and, and, I, and I do have trouble saying certain words, um, but uh, this has been difficult for me, but at the same time, it's been, it's been pretty awesome to see how God's been helping me out in this process. So from, you know, if, if, if you go, if you go to the podcast page, you probably won't be able to see the first like 10 episodes or so. Um, or I think it was like nine or ten episodes of the first series I ever I ever made on on Saint Certified Podcast, and um, and it was about the gospel, and uh, and I actually deleted them because I was so discouraged, <laughs> and I was so just kind of embarrassed about hearing you know the way how I was I was having I was having difficult trying to figure out how to record a podcast without sounding fake or you know not myself and. And, uh, and also too, the editing uh, at times made my voice sound kind of robotic, you know, so I don't know, it, it was it was something that I, I kind of regret now, I wish I didn't delete, I wish I didn't delete them, but I did upload them to my YouTube page. And so if you're that curious, if, if you're one of those people that are curious about how I used to sound and, and if you think it can sound worse, just check out my YouTube page and, and look up that, uh, that podcast series, I actually have it on there. But no, in, in, in all honesty, guys, I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you, especially for those of you who've been who've been uh, listening to this podcast since the beginning. And uh, there's going to be more to come. And not only that, but the quality of it will improve. So just stay tuned for for what's coming, guys. I have exciting news to share with you. Not this time, but the next but the next episode I will. Uh, but yeah, so I, I just want to I just want to just clearly just highlight that how how it's exciting to almost reach episode 30. But yeah, anyway. Um, I want to go ahead and, and quickly start on this one because I know last time I kind of felt like I was limited on time and I don't want to do that again. So let's go ahead and start. So, so today we're going to cover part three of the Scripture is series. So and if you haven't noticed already, the, the title is Scripture is Authoritative and Self-Authenticating. And we'll be covering sections four and five of the first chapter of the confession. So feel free to look it up on your own or you can just hear me read it really quick. And then we're going to dive into the points, right? So this is section four of the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter one. The authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. And therefore, it is to be received, because it is the word of God. So that was section four, guys. Section five is a bit longer. And like I said, I'm not a big fan of the Old English, but that's how they wrote it. So I'm going to try my best to read this for you guys. But again, I really do encourage you guys to check it out yourself. Just go on Google, type in Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, I'll, I'll, link, I'll link something in the description and the show notes if you guys want to do that instead. So here's section five. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof, are all arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet, notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth, 
and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So I, I believe that was like all one sentence, guys. So, you know, old English is kind of weird. You know, like we're not used to it, but um, I feel like that could have been broken up. And anyway, um, we'll cover three. We'll cover three things from these two sections. And it's so easy to spend hours and hours on one section alone. So you can imagine the difficulty for me, at least, to spend less than half an hour on two sections. Uh, but it's okay because I hope that these lessons or, or episodes, they spark an interest in, in, in wanting to dig deeper into these confessions and because they clearly lay out what scripture teaches in such a helpful way. So um, I'll do my best to cover these three things, okay? And it's gonna be based off those two sections that we just read. The first thing we'll cover is the reason to believe and obey the scriptures, okay? The reason to believe and obey the scriptures. Secondly will be, uh, which is gonna lead me to uh, um, scripture's authority. Okay, so that's going to be a second point. And then finally, that's going to be the reason why we have full persuasion and assurance of Scripture's infallible truth. Okay, so um, the, reason why we, the reason why we believe Scripture's authority, and then how we have full persuasion and assurance of Scripture's infallible truth. So firstly, uh, the reason to obey and believe the Scriptures. Uh, section 4 gives a clear reason why we ought to believe and obey the Scriptures. The straightforward answer is because it's God's Word. So I'm going to quickly read section four one more time, and it's, it's, it's the shorter one. So uh, here, I'll, I'll read it one more time for you guys. The authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, depends not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author of the Scriptures. And therefore, it is to be received because it is the Word of God. So the reason why we believe is because it's the Word of God. The, the confession tells us why, and it gives us a clear answer. It's not because our parents said so. It's not because the church commands us or forces us to believe. Although those might be actual reasons why some believe. But biblically, that's not the primary reason why we believe. We believe primarily because God commands us to believe his word. The Bible is truth. God is the truth. And that's what the confession highlights too, in parentheses. He is the author of the Bible. The Bible is God-breathed. The Bible is God's word. That's why we believe. The last two sections that we read, including, actually, sorry, this these these two sections and the ones before that that we, that we read actually appealed quite a bit to authority right but whose authority god's authority and, and and that's actually a major point because not only should we believe scripture but we should obey it because it's authoritative it commands us we are commanded to obey god himself before our parents grandparents church leaders or anyone else it's god's word that starts that command so the ultimate and highest authority is god himself he is a sovereign king so so we submit to his word. So to answer the question once again of why we should believe, the confession lays out the reason clearly enough, not because a testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, right? God is truth. And he's also the author of scripture. And therefore, scripture is to be received. And what received means is to, be, to believe and obey it, because it is the word of God. And, and this leads to another important question. It's a question of authority. The confession is literally saying, that God's word is above all other authorities, including the church. Guys, to be frank with you, this is something that the Catholic Church does, does not like. They actually believe that they're the ones who established God's word. And Catholics will say that, that they established God's word, the scriptures. Who in the world thinks they can actually establish God's word? Uh, so no wonder why these pastors and theologians who wrote the confession thought it very necessary to include this part. Again, the confession rightly states that God's word is above all is above all other authorities. So let me quickly explain 
and demonstrate from scripture how this is true. So scripture is authoritative. And that's our, and, and, and this is our second point. So this, this will be a quick rundown of the doctrine of sola scriptura. Sola scriptura is the Latin phrase from the Protestant Reformation that took place about 500 years ago. And, um, and guys, there's plenty of cool movies out there if you guys want to learn more about the Reformation. Um, if, you, if you want to watch one with the family, a good one that came out is Luther. Um, there's a documentary that recently came out. And there's also a movie that came out that was pretty good. So you guys can check that out. Anyway, um, sola scriptura, it literally means scripture alone. But the full meaning behind the phrase teaches the biblical perspective of the authority of scripture, which is God's word. So sola scriptura teaches that scripture is the highest and most ultimate authority for the church when it comes to what to believe and what to practice. There are many lesser authorities that scripture tells us to obey, like government authorities, church authorities, um, authority in the household, etc. But the highest and most ultimate authority belongs to scripture alone. Why? Because scripture is God's word. So last week we covered 2 Timothy uh, 3.16 when the Apostle Paul used the Greek word theanostos, which literally means God breathed, right? And we, and we talked about how the ESV actually captures that translation. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, so this teaches that scripture is sufficient for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, right? Scripture, scripture completes us in this way as Christians. Scripture is, is sufficient, but where do we get the idea that it's the highest authority? And some may want to press on, on this point alone, especially Catholics. They'll say that 2 Timothy 3.16 uh, does not teach that scripture is the highest authority. So for that, to, to prove that scripture does teach that it's, it's the highest authority, we're going to go to Psalm 138, verse 2. And it says this. Again, this is from the ESV. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. One more time. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. God himself has exalted above all things his name and his word. And, and, and I understand that some may prefer the King James Version, uh, which the ending just says, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Uh, honestly, I, I kind of like the ESV a little bit more. I think it's, uh, it makes a little more sense. And uh, translators have had difficulty in, in figuring out exactly the wording of this. But I think the point is still the same when it comes to God's word. So the King James says, For thou hast magnified thy word above thy, all thy name. So, so here's my question. What part of creation is more magnified, more exalted than God's name? Nothing. Philippians 2, 9-11 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9-11. If we take the King James Version, right? For thou hast magnified thy word above thy name, and God's name is above all names. What does that say about his word? So we can clearly see in this passage alone that God's word is above all creation. Scripture is God's word, therefore it's exalted and magnified above all things, including the church. To scripture belongs the highest and most ultimate authority because it's God's word. The nature of God's word is the ultimate authority. So it doesn't matter if it's in written form or, or audible, God's word has, it has the highest authority and scripture is God's word. By using those two passages and what we discovered, we not only prove that the authority of scripture but we also demonstrated how it's self-authenticating. So now, so now what, what I want to do is cover 
why or how we have assurance that scripture is true. So for our third point, we will, we will explore the reason why we have full persuasion and assurance of scripture's infallible truth. Okay. Now, again, section five, it's a bit long and it, it seems like a big old run on sentence, but again, it was ran in old English. It's a little difficult. So I'm going to go ahead and read section five once more, and I'll try to break it down in chunks. So let me go ahead and read this for you guys. Section five says this, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. That's very important, okay? Because what it's saying is this, that the church may actually give us and teach us a high and reverent view of the scriptures, right? Where, um, and this is true for, for many of us. You know, those of us who, who are in church, at times when we walk out of church, we are more encouraged by God's word, and and we and we have this uh, this higher view of it sometimes because the the preacher reminds us of, of God's goodness and God and God's word and and how we can trust God and, and His word, um, and so all these things could actually actually help us have a higher view of Scripture. And it goes on to, to explain some examples on, on on how on how we might have a a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. It says that uh um, you know the the heavenliness of the matter, the, effi the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the, whole, of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, okay, and the entire perfection thereof. All these things are actually evidence on how Scripture is the Word of God. Okay? So all these things found in Scripture actually prove that Scripture is the Word of God. If we keep reading, it says this, and the many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet, notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. All right, so the first part of that, uh, that section just talks about how we can how we can have a high view of, of scripture through the church and then that middle section just talks about what scripture is all about the point is, is that all these things that that it, that it lays out it, those are actually evidences of scripture itself being the word of god and that last part i'm going to go over in a little bit but let's first focus on those evidences right how in the world are those evidences proof that god's word or that scripture is god's word but before we go into that let me just quickly explain that that this affirms the self-authenticating nature, meaning that God's word does not need anyone to prove its truthfulness or accuracy. It proves itself. I understand that many of you might think it's circular reasoning, basically like saying the Bible is true because the Bible says so. And although that's true, yeah, I mean, the Bible is true and it also and it also says that it's true, sure. But that's not the whole picture. The Bible is true because it is God's word and God never lies. If the Bible is God's word, then it is true. Scripture authenticates itself in various ways, which the confession laid out above. So at this point, just to kind of help us understand, I want to go ahead and share a, a clip of a sermon by uh, by Dr. Vodi Bakum. It's it's a it's a sermon that really helped me out back in the day. It, it encouraged me. It it helped me explain myself better. Anyway, it's great stuff. I'll I'll let you guys hear it now, and then we'll talk more. All right, check it out. I began to get into a little trouble. I began to live life on the streets as a hustler. He was a thief. He was a burglar. He was a pimp. He was many other things. He ran numbers. He was a gambler. All of these things. Eventually, he was arrested and he went to prison in the state of Massachusetts. And while there, someone confronted him about his need 
to submit his life to the Messiah. But he couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He could not bow the knee. He said, I never bowed the knee to anyone. I cannot bow the knee. I hear what you're saying. I know what you mean, but I can't do it. One night, according to his own autobiography, the Messiah visited him in his cell. And he was able to bend the knee. He was able to surrender his life. And he was a changed man, completely and utterly changed, no longer the same. So changed that eventually he got out of prison early. So changed that eventually he became a lecturer, a minister, and was personally responsible for the opening of over 100 houses of worship in this country. There are streets named after him today. His name, Malcolm X. His Messiah, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He tried the Nation of Islam. It worked for him. It changed his life. But even in his own lifetime, he came to realize that his so-called Messiah was a charlatan and a fraud. He walked away from the nation of Islam and was eventually assassinated because of it. But he tried it and it changed his life. So if that's our only measure, I tried it. It changed my life. What about the Muslim who used to be an alcoholic, but he's not anymore? What about the Mormon who used to have a foul mouth and an ill temper, but he doesn't have it anymore? Their lives were changed. So according to your own logic, their holy books have as much authority as your Bible. So in the words of that famous theologian, Regis Philbin, <laughs> is that your final answer? I know that look. I've seen that look before. That's that look that says, hey, uh, whatever your name is, um, you just took away my two best answers. You better replace it with something. <laughs> Be glad to. I, I would love to answer that question for you. Why I choose to believe the Bible. I'd love to give you an answer that was developed in my own life. It was interesting. It was an interesting set of circumstances surrounding this answer to this question. I was a student at the University of Oxford in England. And I was in the office of my professor and reading a paper that I had been assigned to write. And it's interesting, at Oxford, you don't do classes and lectures and things like that. You're assigned to professors they refer to as tutors, and you just basically research and write and present papers to your principal professors. That's all you do. As a matter of fact, they don't even call you a student at Oxford. They call you a reader. You're reading for a degree is what they call it. I'm there, and I, I'm presenting my, my paper, uh, one in a long line of papers that I presented to, to this particular tutor. And he began to press me on a point because I, I was using so much Bible to back up my arguments. And he pressed me on this point and basically said, listen, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from here, but you, you keep going back to the scriptures and referring to the scriptures. And you need to understand that you do that based on your own presuppositions, and had you been raised in another culture, for example, had you been raised in a Buddhist culture, those would not be your presuppositions. I'm grinning from ear to ear at this time. <laughs> what? what? I said, well, here's what you need to understand. I, I was raised in the projects in gang-infested, drug-infested South Central Los Angeles, raised by a single teenage Buddhist mother. The first time I ever heard the gospel was my freshman year in college. 
I didn't know Jesus from the man in the moon. And so I don't believe the Bible because it's the way I was raised. It's not the way I was raised. I don't just believe the Bible because I tried it and it worked for me. By the way, my mother was raised in church. Why did she become a Buddhist? Well, maybe because every Christian that she knew in her life was a hypocrite. She met a small Buddhist community in Los Angeles, and for the first time in her life, she ran into a group of people who actually lived in accordance with what they said they believed. She tried Buddhism. It worked for her. So I don't just believe the Bible because it works for me. So my mother was no longer believing her Buddhism just because it had worked for her. Because six months after God got a hold of me, I had the privilege of seeing my mother come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was not a significant or sufficient answer for me. So he posed the question, which became my next assignment. Why do you choose to believe the Bible? Let me give you the answer. And then I'll unfold it for you from the passage of Scripture from whence it comes. I choose to believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. Yeah, I know that look too. That's that look that says, brother, can, can you run that back again? Oh, not a problem. I'll go you one better. I'll show you where I got it from. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 16. We'll just walk through this verse by verse, line by line. Why? Because I stole that answer. It's okay because there's nothing new under the sun. I stole it straight from Peter. Now, I realize there are probably some of you in here who've had a semester of philosophy. And I think there ought to be a law. Uh, while we were there in D.C., I went to visit my congressman, a couple other congressmen, you know, and do a little lobbying. And one of the things that I, I really would like to see is a, a law in this country that you cannot talk about if you've had a semester of it. <laughs> if you haven't had any philosophy, you can talk about it all you want. If you've had more than a semester, you can talk about it all you want. But if you've only had one semester of philosophy, there ought to be a law that you have to close your mouth every time a philosophical conversation begins. Haven't had success yet, but I'm still trying. Okay. And so you've had a semester of philosophy, and I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, actually, you're about to use circular reasoning because you're trying to use the Bible in order to prove the Bible or defend the Bible. Just be quiet. I have no intention of defending the Bible. I agree with Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who argued it makes no more sense to defend the Bible than it does to defend a lion. You don't defend a lion, you just turn it loose. It'll defend itself, amen? My defense is of my choice to believe the Bible. That, that, that's what I'm talking about here, why I choose to believe the Bible. And I borrow my answer from the argument that Peter made when evidently the early church was pushed on this very issue of the question of the doctrine of Revelation. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 16. 
For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. All right, so you guys need to listen to the whole thing. It's great, and I'm sure you guys love that this, that little portion of it. I'll provide a link in the description in the show notes. So he clearly shows how there's evidence for scripture in the sermon, um, and he explains that his answer, which is, which is what I really wanted to point out, that his answer to that question is from the Bible itself. And in that Spurgeon quote that, that he used, just settles it, you know, and it drives the point home. But when it comes down to it, and, and hopefully you guys did enjoy that, but uh, I want to move on, okay? So um, that explained that middle part that we talked about in section 5, but that last part, you know, where, when it says, Yet, notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof, is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. All right, so I want to talk about that part now. The question that we have to ask is why? Why do some reject scripture then? Um, clearly, the scripture proves itself. Why do some reject it? It's, it's self-evident. Well, for one, it's self-evident that God exists, right? Uh, the, the very fact that we can think and have morality and use uh, reasoning and, and logic and all that, um, it, it all points to a creator. But even scripture itself, it's so full of evidences. Why, why do some reject it? Why do we believe and others don't? And again, that last part that I just read in section 5, it reminds us of the reason why. Uh, we, we do not choose to believe because we're smarter or better than non-believers. We choose to believe because God has given us the gift of faith. It was the inward work of the Holy Spirit that moved us to believe. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, right? You know, faith is a gift from God. So it was the inward work of the Holy Spirit that moved us to believe. Um, and another sola from the Protestant Reformation was sola de gloria. And, and, and that just means to God alone be the glory. And, um, and what that implies is that God deserves all the glory in our, in our salvation because we didn't save ourselves. God saved us. The Holy Spirit transform, transformed us so that we can believe and have this assurance in God's truthfulness, especially that's found in his, in his word, in scripture. So that's the reason why the theologians and pastors who wrote the confession thought it was necessary to include that last part. Yeah, there's a bunch of evidence out there and the church could, could could really help us have a high view of scripture. But when it comes down to it, the reason why we believe is because of the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. And there's so much more we can talk about that, but we just don't have that much time to, to cover it. But hopefully this was helpful, guys. And, and this is all I got for this section. Uh, next next week, we'll cover how scripture is sufficient. And I know we talked about that a little bit. Yeah, next week, we'll, we'll cover that. Uh, but for now, just go ahead and follow us on Facebook and, and Instagram. Um, like I said before, I have a special announcement, but you'll only know if you follow our pages. It will be announced on Friday evening, uh, Friday the 18th, September 18th. So um, that's when this episode is released. So you, you guys won't know if you, if you guys don't follow us on Facebook and Instagram. So please follow us on, on, the, on those two platforms. Just type in Saints Edified and you'll find us. Um, also too, once again, patreon.com slash Saints Edified. That's where you can make a monthly contribution. I plan on making a serious investment uh, for the podcast and it's, it's, it's for you guys' benefit. So not so much for me, but so the listeners can actually have a better listening experience. Anything helps. Again, I said it before, I said it many times, whether it be a dollar a month, two, five, ten, whatever, anything helps. Anything helps. If you guys want to talk about what we talked about today regarding scripture, then join us at the roundtable, Christian Discussion and Debate. And it's basically a Facebook group. It's a place where we can, we can talk about theology in, in a mature, civil way. And that's edifying. You can find us on there. Or you can also contact me at saintsedified at gmail.com. 
or you can visit the website www.saintsedify.com well that's all i have for you guys thanks once again for tuning in to the saints edified podcast until next time Sola de gloria